0: stay focused that long on a passage and listen all the way through. through. I remember when I went to seminary, they would read sometimes longer portions. I had to get used to that because I wasn't used to people reading that. But I find it really valuable for us to sit and and sit before his word and to hear those things unfold. This week we're starting, of course, you notice that now, but we're starting out the story of Joseph. And I think it's really important, I mean, that we do it. Honestly, it's one of those things um, that I've looked forward to since we started Genesis. I, I love the story of Joseph. I spent hours studying him in the past, and just trying to understand and grasp all these things. It's a beautiful story, and it's interesting that it says it starts with it's a generations of Jacob. Really, it's kind of like uh, one of those things where they, we don't just get the genealogy of Jacob's family like we did with Esau, but we get the story, and it's going to kind of unfold for long periods of time as we kind of unpack it. I just think it's important to say now we see in this story just a couple of things. One, we see uh, this jealousy and anger, and some of the things coming on with the brothers is is jacob kind of exalts joseph the younger above his brothers which is something of tying back to jacob's even his story and you kind of see that unfolding so they get upset and they're they're angry with him ultimately selling him into slavery after throwing him in the pit all these things are kind of unpacked before us so i think today just as we get started that i would just say there's a few things i would want you to get out of this one is the brother's sins are wrong here i mean they may have felt you know that that their father kind of stirred that up within them but but ultimately their jealousy and hatred was something that was completely wrong and sinful we see that kind of unfold before us the second thing would be is uh, joseph's horrible circumstances are a part of god's plan i think that's always important for us to say god is working out his plan among sinful men and even though he's sinned against greatly by his brothers god is using that he will be humbled before he's exalted and that's just something we could just see as we're looking at that and trying to understand and grasp it. The other thing is, and the third thing I would say, is Joseph's life points to Jesus. He is rejected and delivered over by his wicked brothers, and so is Jesus. But it's all part of the plan of God. Jesus' suffering is greater than Joseph's because it brought more than temporal salvation but eternal salvation. But this is like a picture that's pointing to the greater. And so I just think it's important to note those things. We get started, and you can think on them as we go. Now, let's start in verse 1. As we begin this morning, you're just going to, note this again it's this is Jacob's family we're kind of unpacking that story Jacob is living in verse 1 in the land of the promise and ultimately um, he is he is there and everything looks like okay Jacob's finally come home and we're going to be there and everything's going to be settled but ultimately there's going to be a lot of things that are going to be unpacked now in verses 2 verse 2 as we begin there in 2b Joseph being 17 years old was pasturing the flock with his brothers now he was out with some of his brothers actually the brothers of the conqueror concubine we see here of bilpa and zilpa and his which were also his father's wives and they're out there and joseph comes back to his father ultimately probably the father had sent him out to check on everything and there's an element to where again he goes out he sees what's going on comes back and tells basically tells his father look these are there are bad things going on we don't get the full story but ultimately like in our minds if you were to hang out like with, your, with siblings, oftentimes uh, siblings will kind of get together and they'll say, uh, don't tell mom and dad what happened here. Have you ever had that happen? In my family, we had an unwritten code that all the brothers stood, I mean, silenced. And if something came up and we knew kind of what went on, oftentimes we just sit there quietly and just wait to see how everything turned out and be like, maybe somebody would step up and say, I did it. But if not, you just had to kind of keep it under wraps, you know. So it's kind of like, in your mind, you think, Joseph's kind of ratting his brothers out. That's how they would see it. Now, in our sinfulness growing up as a family, the three brothers, in our sinfulness, we didn't really want justice or righteousness or truth. What we wanted is to preserve our skin or our backsides, right? And so we would, like, hold those things together and made this little pact against our parents. But Joseph, on the other hand, he's not a rat. He's honest. He's truthful. He's walking in a just way. He's going to be suffering for the sake of righteousness, what you kind of is presented in this story. Again, so I don't like applaud what we did as kids. I'm saying that's kind of the natural tendency. Joseph, on the other hand, knowing that he would get the wrath of his brothers for unfolding this thing or revealing what went on, does it anyway. And so I think it's important to say it now. Verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. So one thing, okay, not only has he come out and kind of ratted out his brothers, at least in their mind, the other thing is is he's loved by his father and and, and in in a way that there's like favoritism it's very clear now here's the thing in families today and you watch people you think there's sometimes a favorite child sometimes it's the baby sometimes it's the older one some, whatever and you'll see that and you'll think someone is is favoring this child over the others and and, pe- and really the siblings know it even if a parent doesn't sometimes the siblings will say oh no they're they're favoring that child. I had a friend one time. He said, "I just told my kids, you know, I, I mean, I love that youngest one the most." Now, I mean, he was joking, but I mean, it's one of those things where you see and you think, "Man, this is not a good thing that's taking place." I think it's important as a parent just to stop here again and to ask that question: like, are we equally? Are we are we showing like all of our children rightly showing them um, the things that we should, and are we treating them equally and fairly? Now. One of the things he does is he makes him this coat. Now, there's some debate on whether it's a coat of many colors or if it's a coat that that deals with the ankles and the feet, meaning that he was kind of presented. He had this fine coat. Whatever it was, he had this really neat coat that kind of revealed that he was not somebody working out in the field. He was in a place of prominence. He was one of those guys that didn't actually have to experience the the getting dirty. He kind of went out and looked at everything, kind of the, the leader, and he looked out and said, oh, yeah, let's do this and do that. And his father had put him at that level. And not only that, he's often with his father. So he kind of has this place of authority and honor and those kind of things. Now, why does his father love him so much? Well, it says he was the child of his old age. So he kind of came at the end. He's had all these boys. And what we found out as we've been studying Genesis is it's not like the greatest kids in the whole world. Joseph, on the other hand, looks like somebody that you could say, you know, I'm proud of this boy, right? And so there's some element there because he's the baby and he's come along and maybe he's not as influenced by all the evil of his brothers. He likes him for that. Another thing is his mother was Jacob's favorite wife. That's just important to note. And he did come late in that that time, but also it's his, his favorite wife. And so there's this kind of partial towards him throughout the story as you see this unfold. Now, the brothers respond by hating him. I mean, they just continue to hate him, and it's just building. It, it really comes out of their mouth. But what the scripture says here is that they couldn't even speak to him peacefully. And, and I don't know if you've ever been mad at someone, but like uh, you maybe get to get away from them for a while, and then if you get to if you actually get some time with them after just a little bit, you're stirred up, and it start, turns into a fight. Angry words kind of come out because here's the deal: the anger is in their heart. When they get the opportunity to be face-to-face with him, then they're going to blurt out things that reveal that they cannot stand him. So they've gotten to a point not only to be able to just kind of hide their anger and just kind of bull inside, but now even when they're around him, it's just like busting out of them. That's how you know it's growing in your heart. Bitterness kind of is rooted and growing. Your tongue will reveal what's going on in your heart. Now I just think it's important that as we move forward to think about that and just to ask the question, even in your own life, as far as the issues of jealousy and, and anger and bitterness, all that stuff, is it growing there in your heart? Are there things that you need to lay before the Lord and call them sin as they are? Now, as, as we move forward, now Joseph's going to do, one, the brothers would see him as someone that's kind of a rat. Two, the father loves him so much, and he like dotes over him, and he, he like sets him apart with this coat, and he gives him kind of the place of honor in the family. And three... Joseph starts having dreams. Now notice that in verses 5 through 11. In 5 through 7, Joseph has a legitimate dream, and and later really it's going to come true. And he's going to say the first dream was at harvest time, and my bundles of grain stalk that were tied together, my bundle stood up and yours began to bow down. And he tells his brothers what's taking place. I mean, really, it's an honest thing. He really had the dream. It was presumably, we would say it's given by God, it's, it's a revelatory dream about the future. It's a prophetic dream about what would take place. And so he tells them, and they hated him even more for his dreams and words than they did before. Because they see, again, what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to be an authority over you. So even in their mind, they thought, man, dad's going to give over the authority of the whole thing, all the, the flocks we have or whatever, now that he's coming forward and saying, I've had this dream and I'm going to have it all. Maybe that's how he thought of it. We don't know. But verse 9 through 11, in this dream, he has a second dream. And the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to him. Now, when Jacob interpreted it, his father interpreted it, what he said was, like, me and your mother and all your brothers are going to bow down. And he kind of rebukes him for it, because it sounds a little bit arrogant. I'm going to be the chief. I'm the little baby, and I'm going to rule over even you, Dad. I'm the greatest. I'm going to rule over my brothers, and everyone will be bowing down to me. But see, Jacob heard that, and even though he kind of got on him, he's thinking in his mind, could this be that something is being unfolded before us? And he, he, he even dwells on it. And I think it's important. Now, why would Jacob tell his brothers? That's kind of one of the questions I have. It's like, if I knew they hated me, and every time we were hanging out, like they were ticked off, and they were like saying all kinds of horrible things to me, if that were the case, am I going to tell them about these dreams of how they're going to be subservient to me? Now, I don't know. He may have been naive about what was taking place. He may have even tried to... There may have been a little bit of element like where I'm going to get back at them. We don't know. Sometimes people think that's what... But it may just been that God had that given him that and he was to share it. Ultimately, in God's providence, he was to do so. I and mean, we know that to be... Because this is kind of one of those things that you almost feel like the straw broke the camel's back at this point in his story as you're unfolding it. So I just think it's important to note and just to see that now one of the things that they're going to do and i think this is just something that we have to ask here is is the issue of coveting kind of comes out when he begins to place himself at that place this whole kind of story they they're jealous of him they are coveting maybe his place his his father's love whatever it may be there's that element of jealousy that's kind of coming out and i think that's important just to say man that we got to stop and think is we see that unfold in our lives all the time you see it all the time people are like They see someone doing well. They don't like to see anyone do well. They do not want to see their brother be in a place of authority. They do not want to see their brother loved by the Father. All this stuff is kind of unfolding before us. And they could not stand it. Now, here's the thing. The person that they hated most, the person they hated most and the person that they wanted to destroy and the person that they could not speak kindly to and the person that they were jealous of would be used by God for salvation to them it would bring about their salvation so that we wouldn't starve to death. It's a very powerful picture there. God was working in all of those things, but the one they hated was the one that would be used to save them. Very closely tied to what we would learn about Jesus. He was hated by the ones who he was dying for. So it's just important as we'll move forward, we we'll look at that even closer now. In verses 12 through 17, Israel, we would you could say Jacob or Israel. Remember, Israel, Jacob's name changed to Israel. Israel said to, to Jacob, go out and find your brothers. And so he's gonna. they're going to be out working, and he's going to go out and find them. And as he gets out there, it, it, he finds out that they've moved. And, and when they moved, he says, well, where'd they go? And this man finds him and says, they've gone to Dothan. And, and so he's going to go out there and find them. And as he's coming to see them, it's interesting. The brothers, as he gets up there from very far away, they see Joseph. And notice what they say in verse 18. It says they saw him from afar and before they came near to them they conspired against him to kill him They said to one another here comes this dreamer come now Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams They're trying to silence him in this moment now. What's happened? This is grown. Now. You just remember this in your own life you when you begin to be bitter and angry and all those things what is the natural growth of that it keeps going and you see not only is it in their hearts but now it's coming out of their mouths and not only that now they are ready to act upon their anger and they are saying let us kill him let us destroy him in 1st John three twelve about Cain it says we should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother and why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. In first John three, fifteen and sixteen, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The natural op- the opposite of what it means to live a godly life is what they're doing here the the very apex of not loving your brother is murdering him is destroying him and that's kind of what you see taking place now why is that why is this going on james speaks of this it says he says in james 3 who is wise and understanding among you by his conduct let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom but if you are you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts do not boast and be false to the truth this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So you kind of see unfolded here. I just think it's important to stop there and go, wow, I mean, you see in them the exact opposite of what you would say would be the way to walk and the way to be pleasing to God. In verse 13, 20 you see it's premeditated murder they're putting together the pieces that they might kill him and really get him out of their life forever and they're thinking about all the different ways that they can do this and even an alibi is they're going to get his garment and put it in blood all those things to try to make sure that they can do this now in verses 21 through 24 we're going to see one in 21 22 Reuben stand up and he heard what they were about to do and he says don't do it he rescued them and he said, Let us not take his life, shed no blood, but just throw him in a pit. That's just important just to note here, he's trying to stop them from doing it, but he's not standing up too strongly. He's just trying to say, look, throw him in a pit, and then he wants to go back and get him later. But anyway, as you kind of move forward, in verse thirty I mean twenty three and twenty-four, when Joseph comes to his brothers, they strip him of his robe. Again, listen, that place of authority in the in the life of the family, they strip him of that, that place of honor that the Father had given him. They're taking that off, and they're stripping him of the place of privilege and the potential authority, and they're throwing him in a pit. Now it's not a pit where he's gonna drown, there's no water in there, so he is just sitting there. Reuben's thinking he's gonna go back and get him later. Now look at verses twenty five through twenty eight. What did they do in verse twenty five? They sat down to eat. Isn't that crazy. It reminded me of, um, I'm trying to think of what the name of that movie, Tombstone? Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Tombstone. But in the in that movie, the cowboys, at the very first scene, they go in and there's a wedding party going on and they kill all the men. And then there's this big feast table for the wedding party and they sit down and begin to eat. It's just the craziest thing you've ever seen. You think, who could do that? Now, we find out later in Genesis that when the brothers are confronted with their sin and they think about what God would think of it, they said, did we not hear him crying out? So he is crying out, let me out, let me out, let me out, and they're sitting there eating, taking it easy. I mean, you see kind of the depths that they have gone in this moment. It's just unbelievable. Now, as they're sitting there and they're trying to figure it all out, what happens is Judah kind of has this idea because what do they see? They see a caravan of Ishmaelites and Midianites. Now, Ryan, where's Ryan? I don't know, dude. I don't know what to do with this. Ryan has a different opinion of how to, like, un- unpack this. But here's the thing. My best understanding is this. Somehow these Ishmaelites and Midianites, which, by the way, are part of the extended family. Uh, there's Abraham had an Ishmael, a son Ishmael, and a son Midian. It's kind of part of the extended family. They're traveling through. As they come, they, they see them, and they say, okay, these guys are coming. Let's sell our brother Joseph to them. Now, what happens is you kind of have this swapping back and forth between Midian and Ishmael, and you think, how does this all work out? And I'm not sure how to put it all together, but ultimately they end up, and that's the best way I understand it, they end up selling their brother to this group. And they must be traveling at some level together. And they're going to Egypt, and they're really, they, they basically are kind of, they collect a bunch of stuff up, and then they go sell it in Egypt. Egypt's a really wealthy place. And what they'll do is they'll probably make their living going back and forth. They'll pick up goods and they'll go and they'll sell them in Egypt, and then they'll they'll go back and get some more, and they'll keep doing that. And that's kind of evidently how they make their living. They buy Joseph for twenty shekels of silver. And and again, they're they're actually in my mind, they're giving this to the brothers, and they took these people are going to take Joseph to Egypt, and he's going to ultimately the brothers are saying, look, we don't want the blood on our hands. What we want to do is give it to someone else, and they'll probably kill him. And they'll get rid of him. We'll never have to deal with this one we cannot stand again. Now, does this seem backwards? God gave Joseph a dream. And he says, this, this is what's good, the future for you. Your brothers will bow down to you. Your father and mother will be bowing down to you. You will be in a place of prominence, in a place of blessing, in a place of authority. Does this seem backwards? That he would get to the place of authority by being sold into slavery. We would never write the story this way. We would write the story as he kind of rose to power and they're all bowing down. But God's writing this story. And God is revealing his plan. And God often works backwards to us. He allows him to suffer before he exalts him. And he's going to go through a lot of time of that. He, he, it's, it's interesting, he is not going to, he, and he does this throughout history, he does not keep his people from difficulty, he does not restrain the trouble of this life from them, he allows them through the suffering to grow and to mature and to become what God has intended them to be. In verses 29, as you see, Reuben returned, as we move forward, and he finds out that, that really Joseph's, he finds out Joseph's not there, he's not in the pit, he's broken hearted, but not over Joseph. He's brokenhearted because he knows he's going to have to face his father and he's the oldest son. And basically what takes place as you move forward is they say, well, this is what we'll do. They're going to kill an animal, dip his his robe in blood. They'll send probably some servants to take it to their father. The father will say, this is my son. This is the one who has passed. And the father realizes that and he mourns over it. And it says in verse 34, then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned. For his son, many days and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, "No, I shall go down to Sheol, to my son, mourning." Thus his father wept for him. Now here's the thing: Jacob is saying, "Look, I'm going to die in a state of mourning." He was so broken-hearted of what took place. Not that he would die then, but that he would he would just he would live with that throughout the rest of his life. The loss of his son. In verse 36, we find out that the Midianites sold them in Egypt to Potiphar and an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the body of the guard. Look, Joseph's gone. He's been taken, he's sold, and you think he'll never, ever return. The father thinks he's dead. The brothers have no idea where he is, but ultimately God is working out this plan. I can't wait to kind of get to the rest, but let's just stop here just for a moment and just say, okay, there's a couple of things just to get from this. One is that the brothers' sins, again, are wrong. Their jealousy and hatred is wrong. You could say, well, Jacob shouldn't have been shown in favoritism, and Joseph shouldn't have told the father what took place, and, and all of these things. And why did God give a dream that would cause him to hate him even more? All those things, but ultimately the brother's response is wrong. And I think a lot of times we think well, it's okay. I'm justified in the way I respond. I'm justified in my anger. I'm justified in these things because it should have been another way, but the Bible doesn't present it that way. These men will be held accountable for their decisions. The second thing, Joseph's horrible circumstances are a part of God's plan. Did did you get that? You you may live through really dark times. And and I'm not saying when you suffer for doing something stupid. I'm saying suffering for the sake of walking with God. Suffering for the sake of righteousness. In that kind of thing, when we see that, when he is a part of God's plan, he's walking along, and God carries him through the most darkest nights imaginable. And he sees that unfold, and it's just amazing that he would experience that. Now here's what the Bible says over and over, but James says it very clearly. "Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is growing him through that process. God is using him through that process. God is doing things in him that could never be done in the place of prominence in his Father's house. He is carrying him through the darkest of nights. And he is going to face that kind of pain and that kind of difficulty for years before he will be delivered. When God carries you through darkness, when you can't really see His hand, I told you this before, Spurgeon said, when I can't see God's hand, I trust his heart. I believe God that he is doing his work through the difficulty. The third thing is, is Joseph's life points to Jesus. There's something about that. Joseph's not mentioned a lot in the New Testament, but there's something here that's saying, look, this is God's way. God is going to bring salvation in this way. It points to that. You remember that he's delivered over, Joseph is, by his brothers to Gentile people, people that are not a part of the promise. He delivers them over. So Jesus is delivered over. The, the, the religious leaders of that day, the Jews that he came to, they rejected him. They delivered him over to Gentiles. Why did they do that? Matthew 27 says, So when they gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they delivered him up. In the same way, you see Jesus here as the one who is going to be taken for righteousness sake. He's going to walk perfectly in righteousness, and then he's going to be taken by those who would say, We proclaim righteousness. He's going to be delivered over. And in being delivered over, they're going to take him, And he is going to not only go and suffer, but he will be crucified. Joseph's suffering for righteousness' sake, and so was Jesus. But Jesus goes much further. And Joseph also faced, listen, he faced first trouble and then the glorious part of it. It came with suffering first. He was greatly humbled and then raised and exalted. Too much of the church, and it's something I read this week, too much too many people even adopt these kind of, uh, one of our I was talking to someone this last week about one one preacher that's kind of big on television and uh, he, he he everything about his message is a promise of glory now it's a promise of all the wonders and all the wonderful things now And there are people that are staking their whole life on, if I have enough faith, I'll get everything now, all the blessings now, all the glory now, all the joy now. There will be no suffering if I'm really rising up in my faith and growing in godliness. That's not the way. That is not the way. The way of God in this present world is the way of suffering in the future, the eternal world. That's where the greatest blessing is. We're living with eternity in view. This kingdom is we are in God's kingdom now, but we are in a fallen world, and we have not yet experienced the glory of the future. So I think it's important that we note that. But not only this, and the last thing, Joseph's life would bring salvation to his family in a temporal sense. Joseph's life would bring salvation in a temporal sense. They they're going to be almost starved to death, and Joseph's life is going to be a blessing to them. He is going to bring them into abundance. Jesus' life is going to bring eternal salvation. He is going to face the suffering, the ultimate suffering. He will be judged on our behalf. God will pour out His wrath upon Him. Jesus will be crucified for us. He will be humbled to the point of death, even death on a cross. He will not just be in a prominent position with like Jacob doting over his son. Jesus reigned victorious over all. He was the supreme over all. He is the son who was most blessed. He lived in heaven and he was praised and honored forever and ever. He had been doing that all along and then he came down to earth and he came down and became the servant, the most lowliest of servant and he dies on the cross, not, listen to me, not so that you'll have something to eat, not just so that you would have not that those are things are not included but not just for food or sustenance in this life but for eternal sustenance he would give them living water water that would never not satisfy eternal living water he would give them bread that's not just bread that would satisfy them for a day but eternal bread it's such a powerful story Jesus Christ gives to all those who repent and believe in Him, eternal salvation. And this is the most powerful, I think one of the most powerful stories as it unfolds to understand that God would use His Son in a most unbelievable way. He would offer Him willingly so that you and I could be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we get to see this story unfold That it gives us a glimpse of a story that's to come in the Bible. The greatest story ever told. And Lord, I just pray today that we would be reminded. That we would be reminded of the great mercy and grace shown to us. As we look at the Christmas season, we think about Jesus coming in a humble way, living a humble life, facing great difficulty the greatest of all difficulty that could ever be experienced so that we could have life in Him. But the cross is not the end. He was raised victorious and reigns as Lord over all. Pray that we would see that today. And we would follow Jesus in His footsteps in the present as we face the trouble and we would await the future when we experience glory. In Christ's name.